Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay. Hi, Trinity. Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jane. Excited to be here. Awesome. So for everybody out there, Trinity is the VP of Marketing and ADR at User Gems. Um, so Trinity, tell us a little bit about yourself to kick things off. So my name is Trinity Nguyen. I am serving the marketing team and the account development rep team here uh, at User Gems. Been with the company for ooh, a little bit over three years now. <laughs> That's big in marketing. Uh, it is big in marketing. And it's a startup. So when we started, it was very small. Four engineers, founders. And then I was the first non-engineer hire. So nice. yeah, three years uh, is a lifetime. But it's been very yeah. fun. And high growth, it seems too. You can tell us a little about um, user gems too. I'd love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So we are a SaaS company. So software as a service. We're a tool for revenue teams. So sales, marketers. And now we start seeing some customer success use cases as well. So what we do is we help revenue teams generate more qualified pipeline efficiently. And the way we do it is pretty interesting. So we help you track any key contact customers, users, buyers, champions, etc. when they change their jobs to new companies. And then when they land at the target accounts, not only do we help you capture that job change and then surface all the information so you can reach out, we also help you identify the rest of the buying groups in that target account. So that you're not single threading and relying 100% on your champion, you actually help yes. multi-threading and move the deals a lot uh, faster. Help companies generate a lot more uh, pipeline. I mean, it's not a rocket science use case. It just hasn't been automated for a long time. And we kind of automate from beginning to end from lead capturing, routing all the way to where you use, like where your reps or your marketing teams spending their time on, like think about outreach or sales log cadences, like all the information to surface there. So they don't have to go through a lead list and sift through all of that and reach yeah. out to these people. It's funny. I just learned the term multi-threading this week because Latney from Sixth Sense had been, she was on a some webinar that I was attending that was amazing. I think from Welcome, but they put this on and Latney was amazing. She, they also had the CMO from G2 on as well, but she they were talking about multi-threading and the importance of that and that being a big strategy for them in 2023. So that's great that now I'm hearing it and that's something that user gems can help us accomplish. Very cool. I need to look more into user gems myself. <laughs> no, it's interesting because so my background, I was in product marketing. So I always yeah. work really closely with sales teams. So the term multi-threading is very common with sales teams. Yeah. I only learned recently as we start like doing messaging testing that not a lot of marketers know about the term multi-threading. I mean, we surround yeah. the accounts in our program, but multi-threading is a very sales term. The interesting thing is we, because of my background, so I've been always like, like harping on the teams, like multi-thread, you got to multi-thread all the time. And we have enough data to prove that when you buy thread, when you have more than three people in your opportunities, your win rates will increase by five times. Wow. It's wild. So we knew it intuitively, but until we look at all the data internally to train our team, we're like, God, we got to have everyone in every single opportunity. So Yeah. Do you see that that scales as companies are larger and larger and the deal size that they're selling or the size of if you're in SaaS, the the platform, if you sell to enterprise, that this is even more important or you see that return even more as you scale the size of the company? 
absolutely a lot more. So even not like true, true enterprise, even like small enterprise, you're thinking about like one to 5,000 employees. Yeah. We're seeing on our end, like some conversation have eight, 10, sometimes it's 12 different VPs that the product can benefit. So it's the buying groups. When Gardner a few years said something about buying groups is seven people on average. I think it's more like 10 now, just wow. from what we've seen in deals. Wow. That's so interesting. I want to dive into this multi-threading so much more. It makes perfect sense. And I always spoke about on the marketing side of needing to have more context than just that one POC that we put in our CRM, right? Or that we tie to the deal for tracking. We always knew that, but I never had the term multi-threading. I love it. It might be a new favorite term of mine now to spread in the marketing world. Yeah. Very cool. Well, you just touched on this a little bit, but can you tell me a little bit about how you got into marketing? I know you touched on product marketing, but I know you have an even more interesting path before that. (laughs) Yeah. So when I was a kid, I always knew that I wanted to go into marketing. I don't know if it's because of all the ads I watched growing up, <laughs> but I thought I want to become a brand manager. So like yeah. on the PNL, but like very much on the marketing side, I love, love getting people excited about things. So I thought like, yeah. okay, I'm going to go there. But the weird thing is because I knew that I would end up there. I decided when I graduated to do something else. Yeah to kind of get to the business. So I started out doing risk and compliance, basically operations and strategies, a finance as well. So touch all of that. So did the whole rodeo, multiple areas before, I think it would be like three, five years later out of college is when I actually, okay, I understand how the business works. Yeah. I've seen different aspects. I have confirmed that I love marketing and that's how I ended up going to product marketing, which is kind of like strategy combined with marketing. Yep. And touch on like product a little bit. And now full-blown marketing, marketing, demand gen and the whole yeah. shebang. <laughs> Did you find it hard to shift into marketing? Because I know a big struggle, so many people, I know the job market right now is so hot, right? With so many people searching. Did you find it hard to break into marketing? Because everybody seems to want the experience already and not see the, how different experience can be applied into a new position or new role. Did you have any of that friction when you were trying to get back get into marketing, knowing that was your ultimate goal in the first place? Yeah. So I think the tricky part about marketing, and we just this training for our own internal sales team, like what is marketing? The tricky thing about marketing is there's so many different functions within marketing. Yeah. So when people say, I want to go to marketing, my question is like, well, which function? And then yeah. what is your background? And wh- I'm sure there's going to be some kind of overlap. So yeah. if you come from like something like finance, where you understand like numbers and very data and analytical, Maybe there's something around like the ops side or analytics side of marketing that you can kind of like, there's some overlap to kind of ease your transition. And as you learn more about like how to run campaign, et cetera. If your background's in like strategy, where you think more long-term and kind of like help the business shape their direction, then I would say product marketing might be an easier way for you to ease into it. That was my path. So I was in strategy and I was like, I want to go into marketing. So it feels like the natural transition is product marketing. Yeah. And then from there, demand demand gen, I think is like the the last one, if anyone can wait. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's easier to transition once you're in product marketing. It's smooth to go into general marketing and and overview because you know the nitty gritty, the strategy, like you said, and the product details, the the technical side of things. So, And then you work so closely with sales team because a lot of time product marketers do sales enablement too. So there's kind of like a translation layer between product and sales team and marketing team. So you have, yeah. you know how to build that relationship with a sales team, which makes for an easier transition into dimension yeah. later on. 
Oh, which is definitely something I wanted to touch on from when we were speaking before today. You mentioned how a big passion of yours is sales and marketing alignment. How do you make that happen? I know there's a lot of friction in some teams. I see the need for this. It's a big passion of mine too. I think I had one negative sales and marketing relationship in my early career. And since then, I vowed to never let that happen again. So I'm on the same page as you for sure. But how did, how have you established this where perhaps there wasn't that symbiosis? And how do you maintain it most importantly? Yeah, this one's tricky. I mean, I can share from my experience. I don't think it's a one size fits all and everyone has different experience. And also there's a personalities involved too. So there's got to be some kind of chemistry. So there's that, which is kind of out of your control. But I think from the marketing lead standpoint and sales lead standpoint, which to build alignment, number one is you got to be measured by the same goal, like the exact same goal. That's how you drive all the incentives and programs, et cetera, and it cascades down. So for me personally, I told uh, our CEO when I joined that I actually want my compensation tied to the revenue outcome of the company. He must have loved to hear that. <laughs> he loves to hear that. <laughs> Music to his ears. <laughs> Absolutely. From like the CEO standpoint. And I think, yeah. I think that helps me and my head of demand gen now. He also subscribes to that philosophy. He's also very like sales oriented demand gen person. So we tie a lot of outcome to the revenue. So I think like whenever there's any kind of friction and there should be some healthy friction between the two teams, at least fundamentally, the two, like both sides know that we care about the same things. We might have different opinions, but fundamentally the same. So I think that that builds trust. And then so that's the thing, that's the person, like the personal thing. And then everything after that is more like tactics, right? So how do we make sure that we go after the same accounts, the same buyers together? Mm -hmm. And it sounds obvious but in my previous experience doing product marketing when you ask companies at different teams who's our best account who's our best persona that we should go after i kid you not i got so many different answers from different departments from product to sales to cs to marketing so i think that's a layer like the icp which we all know make sure that everyone really believes that we and that icp and pull our resources in to go after those together So true. It's almost you want to go old school and print out the ICP definition and put it in front of everybody's laptop. So it's that reinforcement every day. Oh, yeah, for sure. And refresh that every like have like um, the reporting kind of monitoring your pipeline. Like is your top target persona still the same or because of the market shift right now? It's now number two, number three, and there's someone else. So I think agree on that component is like the first like the the first tactical thing and then after yeah. that making sure you, you asked about like how to maintain it is make sure like the sales activities and campaigns and the marketing activities and campaigns go after those accounts together mm-hmm. at all times this is the orchestration part that a lot of companies talk about it's a strategy and then orchestration so how do you make sure that you're moving lockstep yeah and getting into a little bit of a detail on this front is how do you align the outreach if you're both reaching out to the same groups? So you have the marketing campaigns, drip and nurtures, et cetera. And then there's the sales outreach one-to-one or if they're prospecting, how do you align systematically as like within your CRM or any kind of systems you're using to not step on each other? It's bound to happen at some point in time, but hopefully for the better because you're getting mm-hmm. in front of the prospect more. But how do you really orchestrate the two worlds working together? So I think that kind of touch on how um, one of your questions earlier about the data about it before, but the yeah. ADR reporting to marketing. 
Yeah. I think that's one component that helped the orchestration. Um, ah. It's harder to, I mean, think like herding cats, right? But it's harder to herd cats that have two captains that running different direction and things like yeah. that. So having the, uh, the SDRs, or ADR, BDR, et cetera, within marketing helps with orchestrating the step. Like here's when the marketing campaigns nurturing kicks in. Here's when the ADR kicks in. If there's no response, yeah. next step is this. And build out that logic and operations and just automate the entire process. Interesting. Yeah. So for the listeners, Trinity and I were talking about this earlier, but it's a common debate on if SDRs, BDRs, ADRs, they're called at User Gems, if they should report into marketing or to sales. It typically, they report more into sales, I would say more commonly, mm -hmm. but that shift has started to happen a few years ago where they start to report into marketing. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter technically, right? It, it, it's mm -hmm. getting the same job done as long as you have a solid leadership team and strategy. But how do you feel... Beyond, you just touched on this a bit that it helps with the smooth transition from marketing to sales when ADRs are underneath marketing. But is there any other benefit? And did you build this team out, I guess, from the start? You didn't shift it from sales to marketing, right? So it was a smoother build for you. Yeah, it was definitely a smoother build just because I saw how the orchestration and alignment broke down in the yeah. past. So when I joined, I proposed to the CEOs, like, I think we should have these structures to make sure that it's not like marketing have a bunch of MQL, throw over the fans, ADR, SDRs don't want to follow up because this is not great leads and they just do their own prospecting. Later on, yeah. you're trying to build out account-based marketing program and it's really hard to bring them in to do. It just, it's, it's messy. So I made a case to build out the ADR team within the marketing from the beginning. So it was smoother, but I agree with you that there's no one size fits all. Frankly, like if you have the right leadership team and you have the right leaders for each to support the, the SDR function, I think either way would work. I think one caveat for user gems is majority of our pipeline the last two out of three years came from account-based program. Mm -hmm. So before we ran any demand gen, et cetera, we were a very small company. So I didn't want to like just run advertising and just kind of hope for the best. So we did a lot of like research on ICP, our account list. Uh, know exactly who we want to go after. So it's very mm. account-based focused three years ago already. So naturally, it makes sense for the ADR to sit within marketing because the two teams have to move in lockstep to drive the pipeline. Yeah. So that's history too that made it suitable for us to have ADR yeah. within marketing. That makes a lot of sense. You're actually convincing me that I should rethink that <laughs> on my end. Have you received any kind of pushback from your head of sales? I assume there's a head of sales at User Gems. Mm -hmm. Has has there been any kind of push to have the ADR team move over to sales or it's just, it's working. So why, why change it? I mean, it's working and there's always room for improvement. Like every company, yeah. I think they, it really depends on your head of sales. Well, headcount is not exactly easy. <laughs> so my, yeah. my, head, my head of sales joined after he, he joined recently and I think he was like, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> because the sales so well. team has a lot of, people yes. as well, a lot of complexity as well. So what I've seen so far and in other experience, like other companies, sometimes the head of sales, people of sales are so focused on helping the AEs close all these deals and AEs have like segments and enterprise and sometimes AE drives expansion. So there's already so much that yeah. just having more like brain bandwidth to support the, the prospecting yeah. side, the SDR is just alive. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, thank you, Trinity. <laughs> so it wasn't in that. So I mean, that's his perspective. Yeah. But I know like some VP of sales would also want the SDR in so they can prototype. I understand that. 
piece too. Yeah. And every group, like we touched on, it, it's different at every company, what works for each group, each team. So that makes sense. Yep. You touched on this a little bit too. I'd love to circle back is how, I mean, we're in tough times right now, the recession. I'm so confused on if it's official or not, but we're definitely <laughs> seeing the numbers in the SaaS world, especially that it's it's impacting a lot of our, our partners and companies, right? So have you switched your ICP when we we're defining ICP? Has it changed at all for your team throughout this crazy year? And actually the past three years, right? I'm mm -hmm. sure it's shifted a little bit over time. So it's switched, not, I wouldn't say it's switched, but there's another player in the buying group in ah. almost every deal now. CFO, got finance leader. <laughs> we all know, of course. We all know yep. this. So they they were never in the picture in yeah. our deals the last two and a half years, uh, yeah. and now we have um, a fourth yes. <laughs> persona that we want to make sure in the most I threading, we keep them in mind. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> so for sure, that finance, yeah, use cases also change. I don't know how it is for uh, for your company, but like for us, the last. Two, three years it's just about generate more pipeline just top line yeah. when people change the job that's like warm leads uh fast way to, to close more deals but now a lot of conversation even from vp of marketing would ask about like can i use this technology to help with burn churn prevention yeah so when champions leave the customer accounts gotta let the csm know to protect their accounts so we start seeing other use cases bubbling up Ah, so that's where the CS team or or that new yes. ICP has come about too. So new yes. context and new segment at the same yeah. company. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely seeing at Just Do Know very similar. The messaging is shifting more towards retention, right? Retention and cost savings. That's just yeah. what everybody's mind is on. Hence the CFO coming into the, the <laughs> conversations, right? How can yeah. we make this efficient? What is the outcome that this is going to drive? When will it drive this result? <laughs> All of those expectations. So interesting how this evolves. And it'll be interesting to see on the other side of this, knock on wood, hopefully soon, how things shift back. Will the CFO take a step back or is this the new norm and they're just always going to be in the conversation? Like it's going to be a, a new norm for about two years. I don't yeah. think it's going to shift back anytime soon, unfortunately, based on what I've heard. Great. Yeah. 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 Crazy times. Well, yeah. let's get back into more of your career. And actually, you're right now, user gems or in previous positions, what have been your steadfast channels that you focus on? Like what's always been a winner or how has that changed over time? Maybe there isn't just one or two or three channels that you stick with in every role you've had or any company you're at that you see working for really for demand gen, but in general for marketing. The one that, is my personal favorite, but also it just makes logical sense and ties into the whole sales and marketing alignment. It's just account-based. I think yeah. account-based is just the way to do things, especially if you want to do things efficiently. So on the marketing side, we don't waste dollars and channels and people that don't are not a good fit. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of that program. It's hard to build from the ground up. And I've talked to a lot of marketers and it sounds overwhelming. Uh, because the way we yeah. do account base now is pretty intense. We target 250 to 300 accounts every single month in a one-to-one -one basis. So it's, mm. it's really insane. But when we started out, we picked 10 accounts. We tweaked the process to the point that we templatize the whole thing. We have an Asana project of like every single step that needs to happen when, by whom. Wow. And then we scale to 30 to 40 accounts per month. 
and then to 100. And then it's over time, about after a year, we got to 300 accounts per month, one-to-one campaign. So it's it works really well because I think it's just, if I remove myself as a marketer, if I wake up one day, I didn't know about this company X, but somehow I'm surrounded in all channels with a messaging that's personalized and relevant to me. Then all of a sudden, at least I pay attention. And then I start questioning, like, how did I miss this company? They seem to be everywhere. Yeah. And that's how we got like a really high um, hand raisers. So it's not just clicks. We don't really measure any of the clicks or anything. It's how many demo requests, how many discovery calls completed. And it's, yeah. it works well. Which also helps with the sales alignment, focusing on those same, the metrics that they care about, right? Yeah. So yeah. this is interesting. The focus on ABM shifting from month to month like this, where it's each month a different segment, how do you, or when do you see them engaging within that month? Or do you kind of focus on this group once and expect the return or the hand raising three months later? Yeah. So our attribution period is three months. So if we start in January, the campaign, then every the end of March, then that counts towards the program. And I say the program because we give the credit to both the campaign team and the ADR SDR team. We don't yeah. split up like whether it's inbound or outbound. No, it's to do it together. Collaborative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's three months. And then about six months later, after that period, we let the accounts breathe a little bit. So we're not just spamming people. And then we recycle them. Interesting. So every six months you revisit the same group. And I'm sure leveraging your own platform, right? Leveraging yeah. user gems, you're able to see if they have shifted like that 30, yep. 40, or now 300 plus folks yeah. that you were targeting six months ago may mm-hmm. have changed positions. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. I love that. That's And then the attribution. So looking at attribution within the three-month period, what do you see within ABM? Like what channels are driving the most when you look at different lead sources, paid or... Is it like, where do you get the contacts originally? Is it partner marketing or what channel is helping to drive the most? I know it changes all the time, but. Um, so within, for this account-based program during that period, like which channel? Oof, you're not going to like this one. <laughs> but I've been observing this because we wanted to figure this out too. So we get all of our contact information from user gems because user gems provides all the contact data. So that contact database that refresh every month is the basis for all of our marketing campaign audiences. Yeah. And also the same context also is the pool that the ADRs tap to, to reach out to people. Yeah. So we know that we're targeting the same people at all time in all marketing and sales channels. That's not a clear lead source because what we've seen is the ADRs be prospecting and we know when people open the, uh, the emails, click, Mm-hmm. We, they're watching, uh, they, they read the content and then they go to the Google search, type in user gems, yes. read our website and then submit a demo request. So which lead source should we count that? Is it the ADR who got their intention in the first place or is it the website or is it they see that ads on LinkedIn? So there's no clear one. We just know a lot of people see the ads, but they don't click onto it because they don't want to be retargeted. Yeah. And with ADRs, they don't click anywhere in the emails because they don't want to be receiving a call immediately. Yeah, yeah. They do their own search. So we see a lot of like directly from our website demo requests. Yeah. But we know that it wasn't just because of the website. So yeah. sorry. Or they pull it it's up not... incognito, right? <laughs> yes. So we're targeting like the B2B sales and marketers. Exactly. We savvy. We, we know how we this... know the tricks. We know, we the know ones the to tricks. avoid. 
so oh, sorry i don't have a clear answer which no means that's perfect yeah. though i mean that's what are i was reading just this morning how everyone likes to say xyz is dead right email yeah. is dead we've always heard this but the one that i've heard today or this morning i read attribution is dead and now it's going back to sentiment which is just so funny because in our careers i'm sure yours too you know there's this gut and sentiment between sales and marketing too right you know that this is working you know this is not working and especially branding type things that are hard to measure right but you know it's working so you keep it up podcasting for instance but now we've kind of been trained to get away from that and go into anything that we can measure. It's been hammered into us the past 10 years. And now it feels like it's going full circle back to the old days of just follow your gut and know what's working. <laughs> but it's so hard to do that because now I want to follow the data all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's also hard to present that to the board. Yes. My gut tells me. <laughs> right? Not going to go so well. <laughs> No, which is why Chris Walker, right? He, the self-reported attribution, which is such a fancy term for going back to the old days of adding the how did you hear from us field on your forums, yeah. on your website. <laughs> it's so funny tracking. Have you started to do that? Have you added that field? Yeah, back we added that one. Have? Yeah. I had a demand. He's like, let's just add it. Because I, I hate big yeah. forms. Because like, I came yes. from the enterprise tech way back when. Yes. And you had to fill out like 20 questions. Yes. Yeah. But he's like, please just let me do this optional field of tell us where you heard about yeah. us. And people actually fill it out. And sometimes yeah. they give you the whole entire journey, wow. especially if they are B2B marketers. Because they, yeah. they understand. <laughs> they get it. <laughs> they get it. Like, Here's the keywords I searched for. This is where I heard oh, about I you. Love the it. whole entire journey. It was That person was our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm definitely adding this back to my forms. I've been trying not to for the same reason as you. I just hate making the form lengthy. I like the idea of it being optional. So you yeah. make it an open text field then, right? Yeah. Open text field. Yeah. yeah. Does it make it hard to analyze? Because yes. that's the hard part, right? Yeah. yeah. It, you just have to go in and yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say time. that it's, it's harder to do analysis at scale yeah. <laughs> because people write in whatever free way uh, form. <laughs> And misspell. But, and misspell. <laughs> so you can't even do keywords, anything like yeah. that. But we listen to podcasts. We read books, right? Yeah. I would just export it out, the whole report for that month's opportunities and read that column like a novel. Drinking yeah. coffee, eating croissant. Yeah, I don't know. yeah so <laughs> yeah. true. All right. Definitely have to circle back on this. And also we talked about something else in channels and what's working and what's not. And I know you have a very organized separation of X percent goes to this, X percent goes to this, and then you leave a percentage for testing and experiments, right? Mm -hmm. um, definitely see the value in experimenting and seeing what works, what doesn't, and trying new things all the time. You always have to have something on the back burner. So what is your current spread and what are you experimenting on now or what have been a couple of your favorite tests this year? Yeah. If we had this conversation this time last year, uh, my answer was 80% on programs that we know work, kind of like just mm -hmm. double down on the things that we already tested and scaling, and 20% on experimental things. So uh, two years ago, the experimental things, like the 20% was to how to build the brand without buying billboards and you know TV ads and stuff like that. Yeah. Last year, the 20% was just different channels, Facebook, Instagram, like how to be casual and fun like we, we just try all kinds of stuff this year with the current environment that we're in yeah we right now we're doing the, the planning and, and budgeting i think the experiment budget's gonna probably go down to about 
five to ten max. Oh, yeah. Just because we have to justify things a lot more, but also make sure that you know we can outlast whatever this recession is. Yeah. Mm, so I think it's probably between five to ten percent on experiments. Yeah, all about efficiency right now. All about efficiency. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just because of the environment that we're in. Actually, I think the healthy mix is eighty twenty. Just because as you scale, you need to find new channels to feed the yeah. beast. Yeah. So without testing, you're not at some point, whatever works already, going to plateau out. Every marketing campaign is going to plateau. So it's, it's a tough time, but I think we, we just have to try to be creative and, and see how, what yeah. we can do with the 5-10%. So true. Um, it's that, that phrase right now, right, of do more with less that we feel more with in less. marketing teams. <laughs> yeah. We're going to see do more with less and help you achieve more with less in every single campaign. Oh, yeah. and website Everyone's now. <laughs> new slogan. That's so true. <laughs> like the, in this unprecedented time, remember in 2020? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. This is the new unprecedented. Yeah. I feel like it, every year just keeps topping itself, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, what have been some of your favorite tests lately? Have you gone into TikTok yet? <laughs> we tried a little bit in TikTok, but I think it was more brand yeah. and no word of mouth. I don't know. If we, we got close one from TikTok just by chance. Right. But I think that was yeah. just luck. Yeah. Because you can't control the ICP that come in. You know, who's going to request a demo, right? So, mm-hmm. and if it's not the right fit, then it's just wasting the SDR time and AE's time because we know it's not going to close. So what we experiment, and it's not new. I know some companies have been doing it, is the LinkedIn conversational ads. I heard about it three years ago, but I was very skeptical. Even until May this year, I was still skeptical. Yeah. Is um, this in-mail? The in-mail sponsor It's, it's the ads? in-mail yeah. thinking, yeah. Uh, with like different kind of incentives and conversation, et cetera. So it's like our, our in-mails is our LinkedIn inbox. Nightmare. So yeah. I was very <laughs> hesitant until I heard I think Tim Davidson from Directive. Mm-hmm. He's a content creator, but he also run demand paid media for Directive Agency. And he shared a bunch of like really interesting stats. And that got me over the hump. We tested it and it's now our second reliable source of our pipeline. Wow. This is one of the double down yeah. programs. But now That's that amazing. I say it, it's going to plateau. Now we have to right. find a new source. So funny. But so that was, it started out in the 20% and because it was so successful, it's now one of your core channels. Yeah. That shows right there the importance of having that experimentation budget. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of them. I think at like events is another one that we experimented a lot this year. Yeah. We're scaling that down just from like, because of the intensive amount of work that you have to put in, build a events, flying like the cost, the cost side. Yes. And then the follow-ups, logistics. the ROI, the logistics. It's just, I think the ROI is not quite there yet because we scale down. We still do some events, but we scale down, be more strategic where we go to. Yeah, that makes sense. Have you, on the event side, do you see a specific type working better in B2B? Is it smaller partner events or the large scale that you just have to be at to keep that brand presence? I heard both. So for us, we haven't done the small scale. We have the customer advisory board, et cetera, but we haven't yeah. done the, the local dinners, et cetera. I heard yeah. amazing things about that, especially if you do with partners so you can split the cost. Yeah. So we would love to be able to try that one, but let's see how the budget conversation goes. <laughs> yeah. If it fits into that 5%. <laughs> if it fits into that 5%. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then like the, the big one, I don't think it's a large or small. I think it's just got to make sure the attendees 
are exactly who you want to go after. So we tested with a lot of different audiences and we had to cut a few just because it's a great event. We had a great time there and people liked us, but it's just not the right fit. So those opportunities yeah. didn't go anywhere. Yeah. That makes sense. Events are a whole, they're a whole beast in and of themselves. Do you have an event person on your team or what is this kind of taking a step back, but what's the makeup of your team? We know ADRs are under marketing, but what other positions are on your team? We had an uh, event person in our team uh, and she did a phenomenal job just because we scaled down the event for next year. So it just doesn't make sense to have the headcount anymore. Yeah. Um, the makeup of the team, so like the umbrella of like marketing. So one on one side is like typical marketing function. The other side is the, the SDRs, ADRs. So we have demand gen, uh, content, social. And we're going to have like next year product marketing to help educating our customers. Back to and your buyers. roots too. Yeah. yeah back to that. So I, I've been trying to wear that hat uh, for a whole while. I'm like, I, I need someone to help yeah. because we want to generate a lot more um content that's helpful, like product-centric content to help people understand how to use this kind of data, labels, yeah. et cetera. And then the other side is the, the SDRs or the ADRs. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And having a dedicated social person, does that person oversee paid and organic or mostly organic? Organic. Yeah, so that. it's organic. She's social and communication. So on the social side, it's the, from the company social, organic side, but also employee advocates. I love that. Yeah. It's such a smart combination. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's just a perfect fit for it. She, she loves empowering other people, yeah. help people building out their personal brand and training them how to be like comfortable. I, I never wrote anything on LinkedIn yeah. until like this year when she joined and we kind of trying to get over that hump. Yeah. The moment you get over that hump and post it a few times, you feel more comfortable. Yeah. And it helps. Also, like building, it helps with the sales team. It helps building trust for the brand because they start seeing user gems everywhere. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. Have you also gone into more communities mm. in building the brands? She probably identifies your social person, the different community opportunities for different evangelists, let's say, at your company. We partnered with communities like Pavilion, um, Rev Genius, et cetera. I love communities. I've been with Pavilion for two, three years. I definitely see the benefit. Yeah. It's just a lot of work to maintain yeah. a community, be present all the time, yeah. become like a trusted source of information or whatever that uh, area that, that your brand is about. So we haven't invested. But I know a lot of B2B brands right now are building out their own communities. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Exactly that. It feels like there's so many communities out there already. They all exist. It almost feels like it's very difficult to find that gap that hasn't already been filled in the community landscape. At this point, do you feel like it just makes more sense to partner with communities and engage in existing versus building out your own? I think so. I mean, that's my belief. But like I said, like other companies, um, if that's the, if they seen success and figure out the playbook to build and maintain community and drive business impact in a measurable way, then yeah. bravo. That's yeah. that's incredible. I, I don't have that playbook. It's just a lot of work and money. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Just like podcasting. We were talking earlier, podcasting is another, it's a resource suck. It's amazing and worth it, but it's, it's a lot. It takes a, a full-time position to maintain podcasts. Very yeah. similar to the community space. Mm -hmm. In 
a similar vein, what do you think from, we've talked a lot of different channels today, which has been awesome. Thank you for sharing your playbook. I know you you said you were an open book on that. And I see that User Gems has playbooks listed on your site. So everyone check it out. But what do you think right now is overrated and what is underrated and not being used enough? What's overrated? There's so many things that's overrated. Mm-hmm. Frankly, it's just, I think I have two, really. So we talk about attribution and yeah. <laughs> And that one's been around forever. But with the current economy and with finance have a stricter look at like all the spend and everything, I think even though as marketers, we know that the attribution is flawed, I have a feeling that it's not going to be easy for us to get rid of it, even though we intuitively know there's dark social, there's word of mouth, things are not captured and measured. But because we can't come to the CFO or the board saying that, I feel like there's still going to be a lot, if not more, overemphasis on attribution, one shape, one way, or one form, something like that. And I think it's overrated, but I don't know how we're going to navigate that water because if I put my head, my like I switch my head from like marketing, but as a business owner, then I understand why they want to know. Yeah, so, overrated necessity, perhaps. <laughs> overrated, painful, completely flawed but necessity. Mm-hmm. So. They have to show the data in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that one is definitely going to be even more overrated. Um, yeah. And good luck with us marketers. <laughs> yeah. And would you say on the underrated side, some things you touched on, I think ABM probably is your, your big one. Anything else? When you touch on the, the community piece uh, mm-hmm. of the word of mouth, so we don't capture this information anywhere. It's really just ad hoc by chance. Someone went to an executive dinner uh, by some com- organized by some community. And then one person just by chance talked about like how much they love user gems. And because yeah. all, everyone there is a CRO, the ears perked up because it's like unsolicited like testimonial right there. Yeah. So we got that. And then someone like by chance in another uh, like virtual training session for SDRs said that they love yeah. user gems. Yeah. That drives some pipeline. So this is this. I think Chris Walker called this like the dark funnel. Mm-hmm. It's we know now, but then we don't know how to measure it. We don't know how to templatize and scale this, and we can't attribute. So this is very underrated. But this is the most qualified source of pipeline. People yeah. trust their peers. So I think that one is underrated. Yeah, agreed. I mean. A perfect example you just gave yourself in sharing this this topic is Chris Walker. Right? We've mentioned him like three times mm-hmm. in this. <laughs> I mean, I I, I want to say I swear I'm not a fangirl, but almost all marketers are <laughs> to a degree right now. He's definitely it in the marketing industry. But now anyone who does not yet know him that's listening to this show, maybe one or two people, they'll go and Google him now and then that'll get over to him. He'll have a new follower and who knows if that helps refine labs. But yeah. It, that, that could be just every little mention. So just getting yourself out there, your company out there more, and then having it being part of the conversation. It's just so hard to track, but yeah, invaluable. Yeah. So I think like whoever that can find a way to scale word of mouth organically, they that's a billion dollar idea right there. I don't know how right. to do it. There's a new SaaS tool out there for something related to this. It just doesn't. There's somebody's idea that's genius that'll come out in the next couple of years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
I know as we wrap things up, I have one question bringing it back to you personally. What would you tell, knowing everything you know now and going through a kind of full cycle and all things marketing with product and general and ABM, everything, what would you tell your younger self who already knew they wanted to get into marketing? What would you either warn yourself about or just tell yourself to save a lot of time and learning? I think something that I'm still telling myself is have faith in yourself a little bit more. You're going to figure this out. And everyone is just trying to figure it out as much as you are right now. So I think I would tell that to myself back then, still telling myself today and probably tomorrow too. Yeah. Have more patience and grace for yourself, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel the same way. I I think I'm pretty good at having that compassion and grace for others, like on my team or colleagues, but it's it's a lot harder to have it for yourself, right? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. When, When you said that, I feel seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like have more grace and patience for yourself. Yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah, we need to print that out. Write that on the mirror. Right on the mirror. <laughs> it's insane. But it, it's so true. I wonder if the top, your podcast is about like female, the women in marketing. I yeah. wonder if it's a thing. I don't know if it's a gender thing or is it maybe men have it too. They just don't want to talk about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's yeah. funny, men want to talk, right? They're more more so seen on podcasts, but not about this side of things. <laughs> Being, yeah. you know, generalizing right now, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, but like women are strong at, at advocating for others. Yeah. Being more patient and caring for others. But for themselves. And recognition. Yeah, it's true. Yes. Yeah. And also we, I think, that I don't have the stat handy, but I, if you Google it, I'm sure it's there, that it, imposter syndrome is more, it's stronger in women statistically. Yeah. So I think it's the same. It's very much related, right? Where you doubt yourself or are harder on yourself, I'm sure it goes along mm-hmm. the same lines. Yeah. Uh, and in my grad school, we took a negotiation class and she's a really famous negotiator. It's she incredible. And she said that women are exceptionally good at negotiating for someone else. So if they were a negotiator yes. like her or a lawyer defending someone, fantastic. Yeah. But when they negotiate for themselves, that's when like you don't want to recognize that person anymore. Yeah. So one of the tricks that she was training back then is kind of trying to mentally and emotionally disengage or detach yourself from that story. Imagine that you're negotiating, say the salary or raise or whatever for somebody else, then you can be more direct and more objective instead of like doubting yourself. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. I always tell people this. I hope I'm a good marketer. I'm a strong marketer for companies, for other people. I am horrible at marketing myself in interviews or if you have to, someone asks you what you do, it's so hard for me to put that to words because I, yeah. I it almost feels boastful, right? Yeah. But it's, if I'm speaking about somebody else, a colleague, it's so easy for me. I can pitch them all day or a company, but not myself. <laughs> I blame the education system and the culture. <laughs> you got to be humble, be ladylike. Yes, yes. So true. We need that negotiator um, yeah. that you're talking about needs to be a guest speaker at career day at schools yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Love it. Well, Trinity, I have one sign-off question, and that is from a previous guest. I'm trying to get it right this time. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you for a question for the next guest offline. It'll be a secret for the next guest. Okay. Um, but this question is, what are you doing more of now than you were 18 months ago or two years ago? It can be work, strategy, personal, anything that comes to mind. 
Good question, right? I and work more one. now than two yeah, work more. Yeah. <laughs> do more with less coming back up. <laughs> uh, um, what do I do more now? I think a lot more self-reflection of everything that's, I don't know if it's because of like you, two years, you grow into two years or just a lot of things going on and the company is also grows. So you're managing a larger team uh, with different yeah. backgrounds and situations. So I think that's more of that self-reflection yourself, but also kind of a lot more attuned to like other people. But I think I'm getting yeah. to a point where I can sense someone's feelings just by looking at them or what's going on. It's, it's pretty wild. I love that. That speaks to my heart because I'm very, very high EQ focused. That's, that's yeah. something I'm very big on. So it sounds like your EQ has has grown exponentially over the last couple of years. Yeah. Sometimes I'm trying to like build a <laughs> Chinese much. wall to block it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I, I really don't want to get there right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rain but it in yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Rain it in a little bit. Because like it goes back to like, for like caring for others and advocating for others would be not strong for us. I think it's the, the yeah. EQ thing too. I feel like, I'm, I don't know if you feel the same way. We be attuned to someone else, feeling our EQ toward them. We can read them pretty well and we want to be their support. But if we let too much of that absorbed into ourselves, then we're yeah. not taking care of ourselves either. And it's, it's yes. hard to, like a sponge, you soak up so much, at some point you're going to spill out. Yes. Right? It so, sounds so, like you're a fellow yeah. empath for sure. So you feel the feelings of those around you. So you have to keep them at a distance to an extent. So that Terrible at that. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. So if anyone listening to this and have a tip to, to share all the to, advice. Yeah, yeah. Help me being what is uh, empathetic, but not sympathetic. The empathetics, you can understand, yeah. but you don't absorb the feelings. Yes. I like that. I I'd need, love to I know the tips. Too. Agreed. It's even to the point where if I'm watching a show with my husband, he makes fun of me all the time because I feel what the characters are feeling. I'm like, why is she doing that? I'll cry. He's yes. like, she's not doing it. You mean the actress that's doing it? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I'm very similar. <laughs> I yeah, don't maybe we it. shouldn't watch a movie together, Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, here's a box of tissue. It just is something yes. completely like ridiculous. I'd be like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> What's it's so true. So true. Yeah. Well, Trinity, it has been amazing having you on the show. I know just for everyone listening, Trinity is a fellow Miamian, I learned recently. So I hope that we get to meet up for coffee or drinks sometime soon and continue this chat for sure. Absolutely. I will ping you for that. And I'll send you the question for the next guest. Yes, please do. Thank you, Trinity. Thank you, Jane. And congratulations on the show. Thank you. Yeah, everybody <laughs> like, follow, listen, rate us. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time.